This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. How did Ron Shapiro successfully negotiate Joe Maurer's $184 million contract, the fourth largest contract in the history of baseball? He attributes his success with the Minnesota Twins catcher to his careful preparation. In a new book, Perfecting Your Pitch, How to Succeed in Business and in Life by Finding Words That Work, outlines the three-step process he developed as a sports agent and lawyer. Wharton management professor Adam Grant recently interviewed Shapiro about the process he uses. Adam Grant, I'm here with Ron Shapiro, who is a world-class negotiator, sports agent, lawyer, best-selling author. And he's written a new book, Perfecting Your Pitch, which is about all the conversations that we have in life but don't usually prepare so well for. Ron, welcome. Great to be with you, Adam. We're excited to have you here. So for, for starters, what led you to write this book? Well, you know, I've, I've had a lot of years out there and dealt with a lot of people and in negotiations and in other challenges in life. And I found one thing that people tend to do, no matter how good they are at what they do, is when they get to those crucial conversations in life, uh, they somehow think they have it all in their head and they wing it. And no matter how advanced they are, the winging it leads to them saying, why did I say that or why didn't I say that? And I wanted to see if I could offer some suggestions, a cure, for the why did I say that phenomena. So what are your favorite cures or suggestions? Well, you, you, I, I'm a person who believes that whether you're negotiating or dealing with other challenges in life, the great leveler is to find a system that, that helps you solve the problem, assuming it's a simple system. And what I've done in the book is to create a, a simple, systematic approach. I call it the three Ds, draft, devil's advocate, and deliver. And we can talk about it and explain it. But that, that system, if properly employed, really increases the success rate in challenging communications to a, a, a nearly 90% level. And, and that's really the goal, to help people speak confidently and accomplish their objectives. So did you draft a script for this conversation? I, I, I did not draft it for this conversation, but since the book has come out, I've been speaking about it rather constantly in my initial presentation. People said, wow, that was an amazing 20 minutes, and it was all so extemporaneous. They have no idea how well prepared it was. But that, that's a good script. I mean, this isn't a movie script. It isn't, you know, the beginning and the end. It's really knowing what you're going to say, speaking it confidently. When I go out and speak about the three Ds and perfecting your pitch, I'm trying to convince people to improve their lives. That's a negotiation. I want to speak it confidently and effectively, so I spent a lot of hours preparing to talk about this book. Let's start on the drafting part then. So what, what are your best practices when you actually sit down to draft a conversation? Well, when you're going to have a, a challenging communication, it's either because something's on the line and you want to get it, or because your emotions are so pent up with anger and other feelings and you want to express them to people. So I say sit down, and whether it be at the computer or with a pen, if you still use one, Get it all down. Say everything that's on your mind. Get your emotions out. Get your arguments down. Don't worry about whether you're ultimately going to say them, but get them out. So drafting is all about making the initial kind of plan, but a plan that's going to be revised with the second step. And so it's, it's and, and by the way, it's a great way 
to get the emotions out of the way. Abraham Lincoln didn't like his generals in the beginning of the Civil War, but he couldn't fire them either. So he would write nasty letters and get it all down. He put them in a draw, but he drafted and by drafting got the emotion out of the way. And then that revising part, I think the, the devil's advocacy was, was my favorite part of the beginning of the book. Crucial to How does me, that work? Crucial to me in, in my life because I'm a bottom line guy in a negotiation. I say, Let, let's get this done. Let's get it, you know, get it out of the way. Here's what we can do. And I've always needed a devil's advocate to look over my shoulder at what I drafted, to say this works, this doesn't work. Um, I, I, I learned this, by the way, in part by reading about John Adams. John Adams wasn't the greatest personality in the world, but he had one of the world's great negotiations when he convinced the 13 colonies to become the 13 United States of America in the Second Continental Congress. Quill in hand, he would draft, and he would find someone, and you know who that was? That was Abigail Adams. And he would give her the draft, and she would tear it up and put it back together, and he obviously ultimately made convincing arguments. We got the Declaration of Independence. I always say to people, who is your Abigail Adams? I have some key Abigail Adams in my life. In my sports negotiation, my partner Michael Moss has always been there looking over my shoulder, making sure I don't make the wrong move, and helping me calibrate the move so it could be effective. That applies to business negotiations. That applies to familial communications. So that's how the devil's advocacy process works. So how do you decide, you know, you have multiple possible devil's advocates. Who do you engage and what are the criteria you consider? Well, as I said, you know, in sports, I've got Michael at my side and he extends to some personal things as well because we've been together 35 years. If it's in my law practice, I have law partners. Uh, If it's in, I'm not near anybody I know, I look for someone with some experience. I might well call Adam Grant on the phone and say, will you look at this and tell me what you think of this because of your background in business and in negotiations. You try to find someone who is detached enough to give you a good advice and hopefully has a base of experience uh, to counsel you in an effective way. In the final analysis, though, if you're all alone, try to be your own devil's advocate. Do a little bit of Abraham Lincoln. Put it in the drawer, pull it out the next day, or file it on the computer. Look at it again. You'll start to see things you didn't see the first time. Well, one of, the, one of the most, I think, enjoyable and useful parts of this book is going through all the different examples where you and others have put this process into action. Um, as a sports fan, I especially enjoyed reading about Joe Marr and how you negotiated that contract. Can you talk to us a little bit about the drafting, devil's advocacy, and delivery? Well, you know, I used two negotiations in the first four chapters of the book to demonstrate how they work, to teach people the three Ds. One is Joe Maurer's $184 million contract. I might add, the fourth largest contract in the history of baseball a few years ago, the biggest outside of New York, and how Michael Moss and I would go through this process, how we would meet with the general manager and how I would script it out and give it to Michael. And in the book, I actually show the crossouts and what he gave back to me and I'd give it back to him. And, you know, we'd, we'd go through the drafting process and explain getting it all down. And then how after the devil's advocacy deliver the third step, practicing it. Michael would then go from devil's advocate to deal coach. He'd play the general manager. He'd interrupt me because this was a big deal and we had to do it right. He'd get me ready for the questions that might arise because although you script for that ultimate ask, you want to make that number, and let's say the first number we had was 229 million, 
a convincing and confident number with a rational basis to it, you also have to understand you're going to have to be somewhat extemporaneous along the way. So putting the three Ds together with Joe Maurer was a, an excellent example. But I paralleled that in the first four chapters with a young lady named Lindsay who we consulted who had a $50,000 employment contract who wanted to change some of the terms of her and conditions of employment and showed how you know, parallel they really were in applying this process. She was totally unsophisticated and went through the three Ds and ramped up and became, took control of her life and had a, a, an effective communication as a result of it. I think the delivery part of it is, is something that a lot of us overlook, the idea of, of actually practicing. So you've helped to resolve a, a symphony orchestra strike. You've negotiated over a billion dollars of contracts in your career. You still practice these I, 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 I really do. And I say, look, let's, let's play this out before we get to, to the next room. Look, I'm never the smartest guy in the room, but I'm going to be the best prepared guy in the room. And I'm going to be the syst most systematic guy in the room. And, you know, we've had some interesting challenges in the negotiation world because I've represented the so-called good guys of baseball, Cal Ripken, Joe Maurer, Kirby. These are guys who didn't go to the free agent market and yet got record-breaking contracts. How do you do that without the threat? And so it was a tough negotiation. And my goal was not to go in there and be aggressive. My goal was to go in there and be successful. And by being systematic and playing it out and following the three Ds and some other principles I had, we were able to keep control of the situation. There's a story in the book, and I, uh, can, I, can I go there, about a guy named uh, Steve Mosco. Steve Mosco is the president of Sony Pictures Television. He's reputed today to be one of the most successful executives in Hollywood. He's done things in that segment of Sony to make it truly one of the most profitable divisions of Sony. I'll never forget, I was working on the book. I was actually writing one of the chapters about the Maurer negotiation. I get a call from Steve Mosco, and he says, uh, he, I'm sort of his mentor, he says, but he was checking in. What are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm writing a chapter in this new book. What's the book about? It's called Perfecting Your Pitch. It's about scripting for difficult conversation. Oh, my heavens, did you see the New York Times on Sunday? I said, Steve, I must have missed it. It must have been another story about you. He said, yeah, it was about my discussions with Jerry Seinfeld for the show Comedians in the Car Getting Coffee. And every major distributor, every digital platform was after him for this new digital show. And you know, Ron, I got it. And it's because of what we learned nine years ago in that course. I wrote it out. I scripted it. Not movie scripts like my, my directors and producers use, but I scripted for that conversation. My team questioned me and... I got comedians in the car getting coffee. And it was just, it, it was an uplifting experience because there it was putting into play the three Ds. And he was so excited to hear that I was now transcribing it into a, a, a book. I, I think it's a, it's a really terrific example in, in many ways, again, because you don't expect people to sit down and be that systematic in their preparation. Well, and, and particularly in Hollywood. I mean, Steve is running from production to production. He's looking at script after script and not scripts that I have in the book. Uh, and he's making some quick decisions. But I think one of the things he learned, and he is charismatic, he is a visionary, he doesn't need to do this stuff in some ways, but he knows he does need to do it because it's what separates you in business. It's what elevates you to the next level. There's a concluding story in the book about a CEO, and in this case it was of a major academic institution, who called Michael and me in to help him 
negotiate the final $50 million piece of a deal he was putting together, an organizational structure, and a complicated deal, but he didn't know how he was going to get those $50 million on the table, and he needed a $50 million grant from the other side. So we explained the basic principles of negotiation, how you have to aim high but have a reasonable basis for it, how you have to go in with that number and make the other side feel that you believe in that number so that you can end up with your number. He wanted to end up with 50. We concluded that 75 was a reasonable ask. And we said, why don't we script it out? And he said, oh, no, no, I don't need to script. I just ask my staff and they tell me what to say and I grab it and I go in there. I, even when I give speeches, that's the way I do it. And, and he was convinced and he was successful. Uh, and, and so he went in and he said, mm, we'll do this deal for 75, at least $50 million. Well, the other side was already below 50. And in fact, what they did later that day was to offer him a $40 million loan, not a grant. He called Chagrin and he said to Michael and me, he said, I, I am just so, de I, I'm defeated, you know, I, nothing I can do now. I said, are you willing to do a little scripting? And he immediately said, I get a second chance? And he got a second chance. And we scripted out a, uh, look, we, we understand that you guys can't do what we need you to do. We're going to walk away from this deal. We, we care about you. This deal just can't be done unless we get $75 million, and it's got to be a grant. And I'll never forget the next morning when Michael and I opened the email and it said, mission accomplished, $50 million grant, and thank you. And so it, it, not every person is open, as this executive wasn't, to doing things with simple, it's almost too simple, it's too easy. They're doing it right as they are, but he became a disciple and now embraces the concept. And again, that's what you want to have happen when you write a book like this. Mm -hmm. So you do a lot of coaching and consulting on this process of I, drafting, devil's advocating, and, and delivering. I, you know, I say that my favorite career in life is my present career. It wasn't as a sports agent or as an attorney. It's as a change agent. And I, I just had a young man from Africa, literally this morning on my computer. He wrote me and said, Ron, I am trying to sell this new idea of a sport consulting firm in Africa to get athletes linked up with universities, to get sponsors linked up with African sports. And he said, I've got to make a presentation. Can you help me? I know that you, you like people. And he sent me a presentation. And of course, he got a lot of red ink back on the computer because I devil's advocated for him. And I said, please understand. I'm, and he wrote back, I do understand. This is exactly what I wanted. So ranging from something like that over in Africa in the NGO world to major corporate transactions to friends coming in. I was on a, a cruise and a friend said, I have, a, I have a family meeting on Sunday and we've got to end the family partnership. There's, there's no more funds and the, everyone's going to be disappointed in, in me. How can I still have them embrace me but tell them we can't do it any longer? And we went through the process and... Monday morning came and he said, Ron, it, it worked. And the best part is I felt comfortable because I went through the process and then I accomplished my goal. Doesn't always succeed, Adam, but most of the time it does. And that's why it's so important. How important is it to have, in your experience, a coach working with you? Obviously, for the devil's advocate part, it's critical. But when you do the drafting, when you do the delivering, can it just be an internal group? Do you need external advice? I, I don't think you necessarily need external advice. And look, most people aren't going to go out and pay the per hourly rates for external advice. 
unless they have a softie like me who's a friend and they can give it to me and say, will you help me? But the bottom line, or like you, because I know what you do for people, but the bottom line is you can do it internally. I, I will turn to Kathy Shapiro, my beloved wife, and I will say, Kathy, look, I've got to make this presentation tomorrow morning. What do you think of it? She is spiritual. She is not a business person. But she will look at it, and she's detached enough to be able to give me ideas to take it to the next level. And then I'll say, well, listen how I say it. And she'll say, not falling the way it should. And so she can guide me. And I would say this, it, you know, if you can it, afford external help, great. But I think you can do this with internal teams. And you hit the nail right on the head. Have a great devil's advocate. He or she can also be a delivery coach. But make sure there's someone in both places, if you possibly can. How do you know when you're ready? So how many rounds of practice do you well, go through? you know, one of the things I've learned in life, particularly when we have so much on our plate in our busy lives, is that I, I do little quick timelines for things, and I, I, I just cut it off. I mean, if I go through drafting, if my devil's advocate tells me they've taken it apart, and I practice it and get comfortable and try it out with someone, that's probably it. It's not going to be four times or five times because I've got to go on to the next thing. If it's a major transaction with consequences for humanity or other people or for the bottom line of my company in a very material way, I may take it further. But generally, the 3Ds is intended to be a simple process so that you don't feel it's absorbing all of your time. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to wing it. And that's when you come back to, why did I say that? And Oftentimes, those errors are visible as soon as people start drafting. Oh, it, it's, it's so, I'm sorry, you were going to, I interrupted you. It, it's so clear that, I mean, when people get it down on paper, they start putting all the wrong things as well as a lot of the right things. And the best devil's advocate is able to help push the wrong things aside and focus on the right things and then how to articulate the right things. Because remember again, Perfecting your pitch, how to find the words to succeed in business and life, is not only about finding words, but how to – I always say it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. Because as a negotiator, you want the other side to feel your confidence. You want the other side to also feel that maybe it should go in that direction. And that's why the, the practicing and having the right people guide you can be so important. Ron, thank you for joining us today. Adam, thank you for an interview which allowed me to be a change agent. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.